Section 28 of the Underground Railroad Part 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lee Smalley. The Underground Railroad Part 1 by William Sill. Section 28. Arrival of Jackson, Isaac, and Edmondson Turner from Petersburg. Touching scene on meeting their old blind father at the UGRR depot. Letters and warning to slaveholders. About the latter part of December 1857, Isaac and Edmondson, brothers, succeeded in making their escape together from Petersburg, Virginia. They barely escaped the auction block, as their mistress, Mrs. Ann Coley, a widow, had just completed arrangements for their sale on the coming first day of January. In this kind of property, however, Mrs. Coley had not largely invested. In the days of her prosperity, while all was happy and contented, she could only boast of four head, these brothers, Jackson, Isaac, and Edmondson, and one other. In May 1857, Jackson had fled and was received by the Vigilance Committee, who placed him upon their books briefly in the following light. Runaway. Fifty dollars reward. Ran away some time in May last, my servant man, who calls himself Jackson Turner. He is about twenty-seven years of age, and has one of his front teeth out. He is quite black, with thick lips, a little bow-legged, and looks down when spoken to. I will give a reward of fifty dollars if taken out of the city, and twenty-five dollars if taken within the city. I forewarn all masters of vessels from harboring or employing the said slave. All persons who disregard this notice will be punished as the law directs. Ann Coley. Petersburg, June 8, 1857. Jackson is quite dark, medium size, and well informed for one in his condition. In slavery he had been pressed hard. His hire, ten dollars per month, he was obliged to produce at the end of each month, no matter how much he had been called upon to expend for doctor bills, etc., the woman he called mistress went by the name of Ann Coley, a widow, living near Petersburg. She was very quarrelsome, although a member of the Methodist Church. Jackson, seeing that his mistress was yearly growing harder and harder, concluded to try and better his condition, if possible. Having a free wife in the North, who was in the habit of communicating with him, he was kept fully awake to the love of freedom. The underground railroad expense the committee gladly bore. No further record of Jackson was made. Jackson found his poor old father here, where he had resided for a number of years, in a state of almost total blindness, and of course in much parental anxiety about his boys in chains. On the arrival of Jackson, his heart overflowed with joy and gratitude not easily described, as the old man had hardly been able to muster faith enough to believe that he should ever look with his dim eyes upon one of his sons in freedom. After a day or two's tarrying, Jackson took his departure for safer and more healthful localities, her British Majesty's possessions. The old man remained only to feel more keenly than ever the pang of having sons still toiling in hopeless servitude. In less than seven months, after Jackson had shaken off the yoke, to the unspeakable joy of the father, Isaac and Edmondson succeeded in following their brother's example and were made happy partakers of the benefits and blessings of the Vigilance Committee of Philadelphia. On first meeting his two boys at the Underground Railroad Depot, the old man took each one in his arms, 
and is looking through a glass darkly, straining every nerve of his almost lost sight, exclaiming, whilst hugging them closer and closer to his bosom for some minutes, in tears of joy and wonder, My son Isaac, is this you? My son Isaac, is this you? etc. The scene was calculated to awaken the deepest emotion, and to bring tears to eyes not accustomed to weep. Little had the old man dreamed in his days of sadness that he should share such a feast of joy over the deliverance of his sons. But it is in vain to attempt to picture the affecting scene at this reunion, for that would be impossible. Of their slave life, the records contain but a short notice, simply as follows. Isaac is twenty-eight years of age, hearty-looking, well-made, dark color, and intelligent. He was owned by Mrs. Ann Coley, a widow, residing near Petersburg, Virginia. Isaac and Edmondson were to have been sold on New Year's Day, a few days hence. How sad her disappointment must have been on finding them gone may be more easily imagined than described. Edmondson is about twenty-five, a brother of Isaac, and a smart, good-looking young man, was owned by Mrs. Coley also. This is just the class of fugitives to make good subjects for John Bull, thought the committee, feeling pretty well assured that they would make good reports after having enjoyed free air in Canada for a short time. Of course, the committee enjoined upon them very earnestly not to forget their brethren left behind, groaning in fetters, but to prove by their industry, uprightness, economy, sobriety, and thrift, by the remembrance of their former days of oppression and their obligations to their God, that they were worthy of the country to which they were going, and so to help break the bonds of the oppressors, and undo the heavy burdens of the oppressed. Similar advice was impressed upon the minds of all travelers passing over this branch of the Underground Railroad. From hundreds thus admonished, letters came affording the most gratifying evidence that the counsel of the committee was not in vain. The appended letter from the youngest brother, written with his own hand, will indicate his feelings and views in Canada. Hamilton, Canada West, March 1, 1858. Mr. Still, dear sir, I have taken the opportunity to inform you your letter came to hand, 27th. I were glad to hear from you and your family. I hope this letter may find you and the family well. I am well myself. My brother join me in love to you and all the friend. I were sorry to hear of the death of Mrs. Freeman. We all must die soon or late, this a date we must all pay, we must prepare, for the time she wear a nice lady, dear sir, the all is well, and send their love to you, Emmerline, have been sick, but is better at this time. I saw the hills the war well, and send their love to you. I was sorry to hear that my brother war soul, I am glad that I did come away when I did, God works all the things for the best. He is young, he may get along in the wool. May God bless him, if you have any news from Petersburg, VA, please write me a word when you answer this letter, and if any person came form home letter me know. Please send me one of your paper that had the undergrands, R. Rod, give my love to Mr. Carter, 
and his family i am seving with a barber at this time he have promised to give me the trade ef i can lane it is much of a gentman mr still sir i have writing a letter to mr brown of petersburg va please read it and ef you think it right please send it by the mail or by hand you will see how i have written it the will know how send it by the way this writing of the answer it you can send it to me i have told them direct to your care for ed t smith philadelphia i hope it may be right i promised to write to here please write to me soon and let me know if you do send it on write wit you did with that ma abut the cabot beige do not forget to write tall john he might write to me i am doing as well as i can at this time but i get no wages but my board but is satisfied at these hard time and glad that i am here and in good health northing more at this time your truly edmund turner the same writer sent to the corresponding secretary the following warning to slaveholders at the time these documents were received slaveholders were never more defiant the right to trample on the weak in oppression was indisputable cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men slaveholders believed doubtless were theirs by divine right little dreaming that in less than three short years therefore shall her plagues come in one day death and mourning and famine in view of the marvelous changes which have been wrought by the hand of the almighty this warning to slaveholders from one who felt the sting of slavery as evincing a particular phase of simple faith and christian charity is entitled to a place in these records a warning to slaveholders well may the southern slaveholders say that holding their fellow men in bondage is no sin because it is their delight as the egyptians so do they but nevertheless god in his own good time will bring them out by a mighty hand as it is recorded in the sacred oracles of truth that ethiopia shall soon stretch out her hands to god speaking in the positive shall and my prayer is to you o slaveholder in the name of that god who in the beginning said let there be light and there was light let my people go that they may serve me thereby good may come unto thee and to thy children's children slaveholder have you seriously thought upon the condition yourselves family and slaves have you read where christ has enjoined upon all his creatures to read his word thereby that they may have no excuse when coming before his judgment seat but you say he shall not read his word consequently his sin will be upon your head i think every man has as much as he can do to answer for his own sins and now my dear slaveholder who with you are bound and fast hastening to judgment as one that loves your soul repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the lord in the language of the poet stop poor sinner stop and think before you further go think upon the brink of death of everlasting woe say have you an arm like god that you his will oppose fear you not that iron rod with which he breaks his foes 
is the prayer of one that loves your souls. Edmund Turner. N.B. The signature bears the name of one who knows and felt the sting of slavery. But now, thanks be to God, I am now where the poisonous breath taints not our air, but every one is sitting under his own vine and fig tree, where none dare to make him ashamed or afraid. Edmund Turner, formerly of Petersburg, V.A. Hamilton, June 22, 1858, C.W. To Mr. William Still, dear sir, a favorable opportunity affords the pleasure of acknowledging the receipt of letters and papers. Certainly in this region they were highly appreciated, and I hope the time may come that your kindness will be reciprocated. We are all well at present, but times continue dull. I also deeply regret the excitement recently on the account of those slaves. You will favor me by keeping me posted upon the subject. Those words written to slaveholder is the thought of one who had suffered, and now I thought it a duty incumbent upon me to cry aloud and spare not, etc., by sending these few lines where the slaveholder may hear. You will still further oblige your humble servant also to correct any inaccuracy. My respects to you and your family and all inquiring friends. Your friend and well-wisher, Edmund Turner. The then impending judgments seen by an eye of faith as set forth in this warning soon fell with crushing weight upon the oppressor, and slavery died. But the old blind father of Jackson, Isaac, and Edmondson still lives and may be seen daily on the streets of Philadelphia, and though halt and lame and blind and poor, doubtless resulting from his early oppression, he can thank God and rejoice that he has lived to see slavery abolished. End of section 28. Recording by Lee Smalley.